1: Madness in Group B as AC Milan, Porto out, and Atletico Madrid make it through Real Madrid. Top their group as they beat Inter Milan. Holland and VBV say goodbye to the Champions League with a 5-0 thriller. And Ajax, my goodness, 20 goals in the group stages. They just keep doing the perfect thing champions league the final match day tuesday recap jonathan johnson jimmy conrad it all begins right now hey everybody welcome to kigo lasso this is the champions league tuesday tuesday recap we got jimmy conrad in the house jimmy what's up man what
2: is up what an exciting day one of match day six unbelievable and there were some fights Fights, 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 fights. I'm here for it. I've got plenty of time for fights.
1: Absolutely. I felt like they all watched the West Side Story trailer and the Jets (laughs) and the Sharks, and they were just going nuts. Jonathan Johnson, good to see you again. How are you, bud?
3: Hey there, guys. Doing great, as always, and uh, uh, looking forward to picking through the bones with you
1: absolutely thank you so much for being part of the family everybody get lasso on youtube.com forward slash get lasso make sure that you throw in all those questions all those comments jimmy conrad jonathan johnson they want to answer them so make sure that you uh chime in anything that you want to talk about specifically from today would love to answer and we're also of course on twitter key lasso pod and if you're listening to this on apple podcast spotify later on please leave a rating and review but keep Throw in those questions, those comments, and subscribe and spread the word. So close to 6,000. And by the way, let us know what game were you watching. Were you watching The Madness in Group B? Were you watching Real Madrid over there as well? And what about earlier on as PSG did their thing as well? I'm sure Jonathan Johnson got upset that I didn't feature PSG in the intro. (laughs) Tell us what game you were watching so we can talk about it. All right, let's begin in the Group B (laughs) Madness. Uh, Well, first of all, Atletico Madrid, Jimmy Conrad, where the hell did they come from with a 3 one nothing win? It was madness, this game. Madness, I tell you.
2: Yeah, it was unbelievable. And if you looked at their starting lineup, Luis Suarez actually started the game, came off hurts, and they brought in Mateus Cunha. And I thought, all right, maybe this isn't the way it's going to supposed to go, or at least as an Atleti fan, I wanted it to go. And who doesn't want to see Luis Suarez versus Pepe, by the way, I mean, those two guys would love to bite each other in a real game. You know what I'm saying? That's a really bad joke. And I'm going to continue to use it. I don't care, (laughs) but Atleti seemed to be up for it. And I was pretty impressed by the response, by the fact that they lost on the weekend at home to Mallorca, giving up a one goal lead with 10 minutes left to go really un Diego Simeone. Like this was a great response. I thought they matched Porto punch for punch. Uh, literally because there was a fight as well. And uh, it was obviously a great result. And as the game started to get a little bit loose, then that's where Leti really stepped up and made the plays and, and ended up scoring two late goals to seal the deal. And somehow, way, they pull a, a rabbit out of their hat and book their ticket for the knockout rounds. of the. This is the ninth time now that Diego Simeone has led Leti into the Champions League group stages. And eight nice. of those nine years, they have qualified for the knockout rounds. It's a real testament to his consistency, but I still don't think he's figured out this group and what his best 11 is.
3: Yeah, absolutely stunned. They had it in them actually. Cause I think I, I predicted that Atleti would finish bottom and drop out of Europe completely. So to see them going through like that, it's kind of a bit of a throwback to the the grit of old, uh, mm-hmm, under mm-hmm. Diego Simeone, which I guess is kind of refreshing because we've been asking a couple of times on this podcast this season, you know, have they finally reached the, the, the ceiling with, with Simeone? I guess this kind of suggests not, but then again, I I wouldn't say that I was completely convinced. Given that it took those late goals, Uh, you know, Porto finally getting one back too little, too late. But uh, you know, Atleti lived to to fight on. But I agree with Jimmy. I don't think that Simeone has quite gotten to grips with this squad that he has uh, this season. Also, I just don't think that this season's squad, despite some quality additions, uh, you know, Rodrigo De Paul, uh, Cunha as well. I'm I'm just not sure that they're quite the same as last season's vintage.
1: Well, you know what? Atleti fans don't give a damn, JJ, because they're <laughs> in the round of 16 right now. Uh... And I feel, you know what? I feel like Atletico Madrid loves mayhem and mayhem this game brought us. First of all, there was like, you know, two red cards, one of them to a staff member, as well as Carrasco gets sent off, then Wendell gets sent off, and he's like, I don't want to go off. You have to go. I don't want to. And then he has to leave. It's just (laughs) great. And then Antoine Griezmann, in many ways, becomes a hero because he was really creative in this game as well, trying to push on, of course. And I feel that Simeone... If anything, if they can't figure it out during the game, at the very least, they love craziness. And Porto, they've always been pretty conservative, Jimmy Conrad, and I think that they needed to be a little bit more advantageous uh, this time around. It's funny, by the way, that out of all this craziness, Pepe was the voice of reason. How funny was that one?
2: Yeah, I don't know. We're living in a parallel universe for sure. I mean, I would just add, when I look at the stats, the possession numbers are really interesting Mm. because, to your point, Despite Porto being conservative, they had close to seventy percent possession, which really speaks to what Atleti's game plan was, which was just to kind of sit back and almost protect Kondogbia, who's usually a holding midfielder. But because they didn't have Savage, Jimenez, uh, and and I can't think of the other player at the moment, but they didn't have three of their starting center backs, and Condogbia had to slide back there. The last time he started for for Atleti in that position. Liverpool had scored two goals in 15 minutes, you know, yeah. so there was a bit of a risk. And I think they did a good job of, of just making it really difficult to break through centrally. And they did a good job for the most part, despite not having a lot of the ball. So fair play to it, Letty. to JJ's point, I think that grit is back, but now it's got to continue. And they have the Madrid derby this weekend. So we'll see if they can uh, keep it going for that game. Cause that's a big one.
3: Yeah. I mean, as well on, on Porto, we've discussed it a couple of times. They have sort of this consistency which keeps them there and thereabouts at this level. But I think we saw this evening again, you know, they're they're kind of, you know, they're really at the limit. And I think with all due respect to them, dropping into the Europa League is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a really big fan of Conceição as a coach, uh, you know, and I think that those stats speak to how well he sets up the team. I just think, you know, that... Like Atleti, you know, the, the Porto squad has seen better days, but it's Atleti who go on. You know, I feel a bit disappointed for Milan, but I get the feeling we're about to, to to bridge that topic anyway. Yeah, we're going to
1: break that down right now. By the way, so sad. Luis Diaz no more in the Champions League this year, at least. So hopefully we'll see that Next time, Felipe. What, by the way, uh, JJ, our Felipe, producer, yes, North right. reminds That's us right. of that one. So let's move on to that one. AC Milan at home to this at the San Siro against Liverpool. You would thought, well, you know, Liverpool's rotating their squad, but little do we forget that, yeah, they're rotating their squad, but they have a ridiculous squad and with players uh with a point to prove. And by the way, some mistakes, of course. Uh, Fekir tomorrow goes from here to zero in this one, but Mohamed Salah, the first Liverpool player to score 20 plus goals in all competitions uh, in five straight seasons since Ian Rush, uh, that was back in '86, '87. And Divock Origi, by the way, with another goal. Jonathan Johnson, Liverpool uh, may get that win, and Milan uh, is it maybe good just because of what you know their biggest rival, Inter Milan, didn't do last year, and they ended up winning Scudetto. What do you think?
3: I think there are definitely ways that you can look at it positively, but I also think there's ways that, you know, Milan fans can feel negatively about it. And I do think that given the circumstances, given the fact they were given a second chance up against a rotated Liverpool side, taking the lead as well, you know, I think that Milan will feel you know, pretty pretty gutted that they're not, at least in the mm. Europa League. But then again, you know, you look at uh, the way that the Serie A title race is shaping up at the moment, the fact that they just lost Simon Kia for pretty much the rest of the season. And, you know, perhaps it is a blessing in disguise. You know, we'll we'll see. Time will tell how that one plays out. But, you know, it, it does feel quite underwhelming, uh, you know, to see Milan crash out immediately, having returned to the Champions League after so long away. But uh, you know, we'll see if they can they can be back. You know, if they can keep up this this title race uh, in uh, in Serie A. But Liverpool, it, it, I mean, you know, under strength, coming uh, coming up against a, a motivated Milan side and still managing to get the win. You know, I think that this for for me it makes them the the favourites heading into the knockout phase for the moment.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
3: Yeah, Liverpool are excellent. And, and in the same way that we're talking about Liverpool,
2: rotated squad, still have an identity, still have, know how they want to play despite not having, quote-unquote, some of their biggest names. I thought Man City was going to do the same thing against mm. RB Leipzig, and I know we'll save that part of the conversation for a little bit later, but I was thinking that was the reason. Yeah, sure, you get some second stringers, but they're all trying to push to, to earn those first team minutes. It didn't uh, happen the same way for City, even though they did have some opportunities. My big concerns with Milan is that what I thought Milan did really well in that first match day when they had the lead over Liverpool at Anfield was that Ante Rebic up top really provided a little bit of dynamic movement up top. And no, no disrespect to Zlatan, he has his qualities and his strengths that, that Rebic doesn't have, but not running the channels. And then on top of that, no, Rafael Leao, I think, was a big loss for Milan as well because when he pick us, picks up the ball, he runs at the back four and puts a team on the back foot a little bit in a way that, man, I thought Critic was good today but but in a different type of way where he just has that unpredictability. And I think as he gains confidence, I, I kind of almost put him in the Vinicius Jr. category, that once this guy starts to believe in himself at that higher level, there's no stopping him. Now, Vinicius continues to prove that this season, which I don't know if it's him or a mix of him and Ancelotti. We'll get into Madrid in a little bit. But I feel like they just missed a little bit of that unpredictability in their attack or someone to stretch the defense of Liverpool and really test some of the younger center backs in that back line that was a bit of makeshift in a way that wasn't as threatening as I think it could have been. And I think Milan missed that. And I think Stefano Pioli has to address that at some point, that they still have a little bit of that diamondism up top to, to make them unpredictable. So Milan's got some questions that need answers. But to what you said initially, LME, I think it's really important to then see the silver lining and actually use your biggest rival, Inter Milan, as an example of it's okay if you get fourth in your group because then you don't have to worry about any midweek games going across Europe and trying to salvage something when you probably weren't good enough to win it either competition anyway, whether it was the Europa League or the Champions League.
3: Yeah, I think as well, you know, this kind of game, and I know I run the risk of incurring the wrath of Zlatanistas <laughs> all over the world uh, by putting Zlatan in the corner. But I honestly think that if, <laughs> if Milan want to go to that next stage now, uh, whether it's domestically or continentally, they need to move away uh, from relying on somebody who's, you know, in now into his 40s. Great, great still for his age, obviously, but I, I think that his time now leading, being the talisman of, of a team that wants to challenge uh, at the top, uh, you know, both uh, domestically and continentally, they need somebody more dynamic up there. I think you know you're completely right when we're talking about Rafael. I think Giroud as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of pushing it, sort of age-wise now. In Milan, they're running this risk with some of the members of this squad at the moment that they over-rely on too many of the veterans. We're going to see how they can fare without Kier in the next couple of months, uh, and I think that in January. Whichever potential moves they make, and then looking towards the summer, uh, I expect to see a stronger Milan back in the Champions League next season because I do think that dropping out now, uh, you know, will pretty much secure them uh, qualification again next season, potentially even the title. We'll see.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. Relying on a veteran as opposed to you know him just being a supporter really makes a difference. So those January. Oh, I and mean, he didn't
3: get subbed in the game, which
2: was no, surprising. Which is yeah, kind exactly. of insane.
1: Yeah, he probably was like, "Don't sub me," and then, <laughs> and Pioli was like, "Okay, I'm I'm not gonna sub." I me. mean,
2: if you're chasing the game, he is pretty clutch, so I understand why you'd want to leave him, right? On. Especially in set pieces, etc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you?
1: Okay. Well, let me ask this again, though, and I, I ask it to the audience as well because I, I really think it's a point, though, to what Antonio Conte and Inter failed to do, but they ended up winning Serie A. Do you think this helps them? Now they just have one thing to focus on, Jimmy Conrad, just one thing, and that's Serie A. Is that helpful? do you think, or, or is it a little bit different uh, with Rossoneri?
2: Well, they'll still have the Coppa Italia to to contend mm. with and obviously yep. probably a competition. Domestic competition,
0: for basically. Well, but I mean, still,
2: yeah. it's domestic. You're not yeah. traveling far places. You're not having to take those extra steps and to worry about your depth as much. I think you can maybe get away with only having a good 15 players. But I think it showed today, with all due respect to Romanoli, I think he's been a longtime servant for the club. But the loss of Simone Kier, I think, really hurt them as well. He's got a great presence Obviously, he was up for ball on door and, and for a lot of the things that he does, but he just seems like a guy that has that type of presence that holds everybody around him to a higher standard and and, and raises the level of people around him. And I think they missed him today in his presence in a way that maybe because on the goal that Mosala scored, and what a goal that was. Yeah. You know, Romanoli's getting caught ball watching on maybe Mike Mignon's got to make a better save, but but none of the defenders reacted. Most did, and obviously that's the type of form he's in. And most players, I think would hit that ball over the top because it was such a weird kind of spinning ball, but it had been for, I mean, most laws are different, different gravy right yeah, now, but, uh, but Roman, that's just one example where I think here maybe would have been ready and more alert in that particular moment. And those little things, as we know are the things that decide the fine margins at the highest levels.
3: Yep. Yeah, I uh, can't, can't really add uh, too much to that. The one thing that I would say now is that, Milan will be under so much pressure in all of the big yeah, domestic games true. they play there's no margin for error left now you know especially with Napoli pulling clear a little bit you know Napoli have their own issues to contend with with the, the injuries and everything but you know Milan can't be dropping points you know losing games to, to teams like Fiorentina with all due respect to Fiorentina cause I'm I'm pretty high on on what they're doing so far this season but uh You know, I think Milan now, they they know what they need to do. And sometimes that works in your favor, but sometimes, you know, you can get crushed under that weight of expectation as well. I just want to say really quick, circle December
2: 19th on your calendar. I was just going there. Go ahead. AC Milan versus Napoli at the San Siro. I feel like that's going to be a game that dictates what kind of version of Milan we're going to see for the rest of the season. Are they going to stop feeling sorry for themselves at that point in in eight or nine days and, and get on with it? And we'll see.
1: Absolutely. I was just going to go there. What a game indeed, right before uh, the holiday Christmas period begins and the end of year, of course. All right, let's move on here. Group A, which was earlier on, JJ. PSG, they were like, you know what? Okay, Bruga, you beat us at home. We're going to do the business now. Where were you, PSG, earlier on here? 4-1, a very impressive performance. Killing Mbappe, wow. Two goals in seven minutes. Messi doing messy things pretty good all round huh
3: yeah it, it was you know it was a real surprise to see him dig that performance pretty much out of thin air uh, you know we certainly haven't seen them look that fluent certainly not at the first half level uh, under Pochettino pretty much any time in the in the last 12 months but also at the same time uh, you know not wanting to you know do down mbappe's performance Messi's fantastic first goal you know but what does it really count for if, if we're being, if we're being honest, you know, it's it's all good and well, you know, thumping Brugger at home, which, to be honest, you know, most of us would have expected. With all due respect to to, to Brugger, I, I think really PSG will be kicking themselves when they look back uh, at the points that they dropped uh, yeah. away at Leipzig and the way that they didn't manage to hold on for the draw uh, against City, because at the end of the day, it was within their reach to to win the group. Uh, you could argue as well they probably should have won in Belgium or, you know, they at least had enough chances to do so. So, you know, okay, uh, you know, they finish slightly closer to City than they probably would have expected to. But also at the same time, you know, I think there's still so much work for them to do going into the knockout phase. it was such
1: a glass we'll, we'll,
3: we'll,
0: empty We'll, job. we'll,
1: we'll, we'll, we'll see, see we if it's concertino calling the shots.
3: <laughs> I, I, my question
2: for you, JJ, is with regard to, I guess, maybe a silver lining of yeah, maybe somewhat of a meaningless game. And on paper, they should win 4-1 against this uh, Belgium club every single time. Is the the midfield three? Because because they have Mbappe, Messi, and Di Maria. Neymar is going to be out for a while. But Idrissa Gay, Verratti, as we know, we talk about it a lot. He's such a, an important player to the transition of the team from defense to attack and how he plays and where he wants to get the ball. and It's fantastic. We have Wijnaldum in there as well. And I wondered if that's... Do you think the best front three? Or did you like the starting eleven in particular... And do you think that's something that Pochettino can actually stick with for once? Because it seems like it's always changing.
3: I mean, I I think it works in Pochettino's favor in a really bizarre way when he doesn't have all of the big guns available yeah. and have feeling that pressure to put them out on the pitch. I wouldn't necessarily say that PSG is stronger for not having Neymar available. Uh, Neymar, you know, when he's on his game, can can completely transform this team. We know how key Verratti remains. I think... It, it's a, certainly a more dynamic midfield combination uh, when you've got Wynaldum in there uh, next to Gay and and Verratti. Uh, You know, I, I think you can maybe you know add Paredes in there in, instead of Wynaldum, and you could argue that that's PSG's strongest midfield. I don't think it's necessarily the the, the strength of midfield that PSG would need, but uh, you know, I think that this. Bodes well for PSG moving forward because we've seen Messi struggling to find the back of the net in Ligue 1, uh, you know, and I think having this kind of confidence boost, uh, you know, will now be huge for for him and PSG, especially going into quite a challenging game against a, a resurgent Monaco side who will test them at Parc des Princes this weekend, uh, and I think that you know this now is a real an opportunity for PSG to seize on the momentum they've created uh, and actually start to tap into their potential otherwise we're we're looking at potentially a wasted season with arguably the best attacking lineup that you know continental football has ever seen
1: why is messi struggling in liga you know what how you look at the
3: the the attacking talent PSG have brought in over the years you look at their debut season. Nobody has had it easy. Not even Zlatan. You know Zlatan, who was, you know, pretty much a bully by the end of his time in France. Even struggled at first. Edinson Cavani. Proven goal scorer wherever he's gone, also struggled to be prolific in his early years in Paris. It, it's nothing new, and, you know. Neymar has, has faced those struggles as well. Mbappe is kind of the exception to that rule because he grew up in it. It's kind of a bit like a, a Bane character where he's like been born into it, so he's he's used <laughs> to the harsh environment right. of the defenses that he goes up against in Lyon. Uh, you were uh,
1: like that. <laughs> I was exactly, but,
3: but no. But being serious, like you know, Messi has never really seeing that kind of speed and that kind of strength uh, Mm. on a, on a weekly basis that he sees in the And also, you know, the, the way that teams set themselves up tactically in the gun is really, really underrated as well. I feel. Mm. Jim. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: no, I just feel like there's some off the field stuff that's happening and I do think it, it makes a difference when I think about Messi moving from a different country, bringing your family over who loved being in Barcelona and even if they said, hey, we want to stay there, then you're still flying back and forth to see him. I just feel like that throws you off. And I think it's going to take some time for him to adjust to that. For whatever reason, he's super comfortable in the Champions League. Maybe when the music comes on, he thinks he's back in the camp <laughs> now. I have no idea. but the,
1: I honestly, He thinks it's like, Mateo, what are you doing here? Like, yeah, yeah, but
2: but when, I don't know. There's something about, you know, you're changing countries, changing cultures, and ensure sure Paris is a bit cosmopolitan and a little bit more global than maybe some of the other cities out there across Europe but it's still different. And you're still putting your kids in different schools and you're still doing all these things that you didn't have to worry about when you're at Barcelona. And I do think that makes an impact. And I do think it distracts you. Ultimately, I think it distracts you. And then you go to another league where there's a different flow and rhythm to it. And he's been playing in one league his whole career. And yes, that's, where I, going, that's but, where I was going, Jimmy. That's where I was going. It but, was
1: it's uh, not just one league he was playing, and he literally like moved there when he was like twelfth, you know. So he just right. knows one thing. So yeah, keep yeah. going on that.
3: That's keep the, on the one so what you're saying. He was the bane, he was the bane of La Liga. I yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> was the bane of La Liga. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> but that's Leonardo you know, Messi for you, regardless. PSG went four-one against Club By the way, Man City uh rotated Man City, but still. $300 million Benchman City, lose to Leipzig, 2-1. Uh, I mean, you know, in the scheme of things, nothing too bad. there for Pep Guardiola, they still top the group. but And, you know, in Leipzig, obviously, after saying goodbye to Jesse Marsh, I'm wondering, Jimmy, was Pep a little guilty of tinkering? Is he, you know, overthinking it again? Does he care? What do you think? No, I think he cares.
2: I mean, the goal they gave up, the first one to Dominic Zabaslai, where it's a breakaway down the middle of the field, is so unacceptable for defenders of that level. It defies logic. Honestly, if you get to watch any highlight, go watch the positioning, the lack of pressure on the ball. Mm. It's a goalie punt from Gulachi that knock, Nathan Ake wins the first header, then it drops down to Conrad Lamer, and he just takes a couple touches and plays a through ball in the middle. I just say it's... I, I see that at the under 10 level, not with Manchester City and this $300 million bench. It's mind-blowing. Now, yeah. I will say that I thought Gulachi had a very good game in goal, and he's been really spotty this year for RB Leipzig, and he's one of the many reasons why I don't think they were playing consistently well. They were always kind of hanging in games. You could see their, their quality, but just like couldn't get the grip ever and really put their stamp on a lot of games, including a very tough Champions League group. But they fought and got into a Europa League spot. I thought it was... A pretty deserved performance all things considered i thought they were the ones that out there trying to to dictate the game but city did have quite a few chances i think kevin de bruyne hit the post when i was watching i you know there's eight games on at once or whatever so i'm trying or no there's only two at that time but i was trying to uh, keep an eye on everything that was going on and and it looked like city was around but in some ways couldn't be bothered to really kind of take it to that next gear. it felt like they were stuck in second maybe they got into third for like I don't know, a couple of minutes, but then, uh, let's just go back to second. Who cares, you know? But I thought after seven straight wins, they would keep that mentality, but it didn't seem like that was the case today.
3: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's kind of the performance that I expected from Liverpool against Milan. Same, you know, I same, they, same. I, I thought they'd, they'd get that sort of result, just get narrowly beaten. Uh, you know, but also I think as well at the same time with Leipzig, I think so many of those players are out there playing, like thinking like, right, you know, we know that, uh, you know, this is only an interim solution. There's going to be a new boss coming in. You know, it's a chance to, to catch the eye if we put in a performance here in quite a high profile game, show what we can do. Also, I think that Leipzig were overdue Uh, a victory because I felt that they were quite unlucky, particularly in the two games against PSG. I'm sure Jesse Uh, Marsh loves that. Oh, great. You perform
1: (laughs) now, right after I'm gone.
3: Keep going. Yeah, but I mean, I I remember saying it at the time. They were very unlucky in Paris. No, no, it's true. Those two goals that Messi got. Uh, And also, you know, PSG were hanging on, you know, for their lives in the opener, Mm. uh, the opening sort of 15, 20 minutes of that game in Germany. So, you know, I think that, you know, Leipzig you know, we'll we'll probably look pretty good, uh, you know, after a couple of months under a new coach uh, going into the Europa League.
1: Should be a good Europa League, by the way. You know, Borussia Dortmund, we'll talk about them in a second. But Kyle Walker getting a red card, Jimmy. Uh, So he's out for the first leg of the round of 16. Is that a major deal to you? I mean, you know, he's important. Yeah, he is important. And I actually
2: liken it to Nika Barella getting a dumb red card against Eder Militao when they scrapped on the sideline. (laughs) Did you see that, by the way? (laughs) you just I mean the fact that you even take a swing or just that you put yourself in a position where you can get a red card and that you lose your cool for a split second now that you know you're gonna miss an important game and in, 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 in a game that your team needs you so mm. you know I'm, I'm kind of bunching both of these guys and, and anybody that got red cards that the, the cards are going to carry over it's it's unfortunate and, and you wish that they'd have a little bit more wherewithal but I understand I was a, a player once, and I get highly emotional. I used to used to call me crazy eyes because I'd flip a switch, right. and then like you couldn't even <laughs> talk to me normally because I just go out there and try to two foot anybody. Crazy, crazy eyes, right. like, so, uh, so
1: like yeah, so I get it, enthusiasm. I get crazy it. Yeah, but
2: but now yeah, it does put them in a position where they have to make adjustments. And and I wonder when I think about Borel in particular, Simone and zagi's like, why did I even play this guy? You know, I didn't need a result. We are any... still going to get second, and now I lose one of the top young players in the world to one of my best players because he lost his cool, and so. Yeah, it's tough. We'll see how Inter copes with that once we get the, the the draw. I can't wait for the draw on Monday. By the way, it's gonna be yeah, awesome. it should be
1: a good one. Five red cards today, six if you include a staff member as well. <laughs> by the way. So there, there you have it. Well, uh, listen before we say uh, before we take a break. By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, that literally means a second, and then we come right back. But Zach Stefan, second season running, where uh, nine USMNT internationals have played in the Champions League. Is this the best metric to measure the growth of the USMNT, Jimmy?
2: hundred percent, yeah. Anytime we can have more players playing at the biggest competitions around the world, it's great. I hope we get more players in the Copa Libertadores as well while we're talking about it. But with regard to what I love the most about what's changing is that I think people now just look at American players as just players. They're not American players anymore. They're they're guys that can contribute. They're guys that they can trust to go out there and do the job. And I think that's great. Now the American manager. We got some work to do, unfortunately, Uh, but, uh, you know, one step at a time. But I'm excited for all the players that are competing in this.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it speaks volumes about the development of the game. Uh, You know, that it's, it's not, you know, sort of really viewed as some sort of rarity these days to have an American player at a top club performing well in a competition like the Champions League. Uh, you know I see we're getting questions about whether someone like Tyler Adams is going to get back in the Leipzig starting eleven anytime soon. I think that depends on whoever comes in as coach, whether they fancy them or not. Uh, you know but I, you know I think I don't see why why he wouldn't at least get a shot at getting his place back in the eleven.
2: Yeah, with regard to Tyler Adams, I mean, Conrad Lamer came in and played excellent. and he obviously had that assist as obviouslylah that we were talking about before. You know Kampel is a player that I think covers a lot of ground. Does a lot of the similar things that Tyler Adams does, so it's really mm-hmm. just kind of a, probably a preference, as JJ says, of the new coach, and and he needs to play very similar to Zach Steffen. As much as we love seeing him play for Man City, him being the backup to Ederson, I don't know how much that moves the needle in terms of his development with regard to you know how he's going to perform for the U.S. But with regard to Tyler Adams, when you're when you're in that part of the field, you need to get as many repetitions as possible so i'm curious about his future but i'm gonna withhold judgment until i see who the new coach is
1: yeah that will be a major part of that all right we're gonna take a break when we come back we'll talk group d group c uh obviously which include ajax dortmund real madrid inter uh but we will be right back remember what i said youtube that means we come back right now apple podcast spotify make sure that you uh leave a rating right now while you're listening to it why not hey why not? Be nice. Be nice. Que golazo. Champions League. Rica. We'll be
0: right back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing, and creative legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Hey, everybody. Told you we're back and we are here. Let's keep going. By the way, 30 goals scored today in the Champions League. Uh, eight from South Americans. Muchas gracias, Sami Sedovnik, for letting me know about that little stat. I like it. Uh and yes, uh, we will keep on rolling here because everybody has responsibilities. We know that Jimmy has some HQ stuff and uh, our friend here, Jonathan Johnson, needs his sleep because, come on now, it's been working hard. <laughs> Absolutely. we got to get ready for Liverpool's real game against uh, Aston Villa this weekend as well. Um, the real quiz. The real, the real
3: one. Matt, right. just, just just wait until Jimmy has to deal with Villa in the Champions League. in these.
1: I can't wait. I'm I can't wait. Oh, I, I'm, I'm literally taping that from a pool in Hawaii every time I see that. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on here. Real Madrid, 2-0 against Inter Milan. Tony Cruz with an absolute beauty opened it up. We obviously talked about Nico Varela, uh, that weird moment of madness, and Asensio with another beauty. I really feel was his first touch, uh, and that was the killer blow that meant Los Blancos take top spot in Group D. But fear not, Inter Milan fans, you still make it to the knockout stages, which is better. And what happened last season, Jimmy, let's talk about this group, uh, Real Madrid, doing their thing. I-, I was actually surprised that Vinicius started or at the very least played for that long. I mean, I guess Ancelotti wants some.
2: Well, I think he also wanted to get that top spot. And there's something to be said for keeping your team into a rhythm. Like if you're already kind of in that play on the weekend, a couple of days off, or at least rest and 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 relax and, and uh, regenerate, as they say. And then you play again and you just kind of have that that nice up and down. If you give too much of a rest, sometimes I can, some of the players can lose some of that match sharpness.
1: Especially if you're 21, I guess. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess not Vinicius's case, but, but he's been in such a good form, especially without Benzema. I think you wanted to have some consistency in the lineup. I think where I'm most surprised, not with Vinicius, but that midfield because Cruz Casemiro and Modric have all played the last five games. Now they've all been five wins and I think they're probably going to only go as far as the health of those three, but I think it's, it's, that is vital, and I was actually pretty surprised that Ancelotti started all three of them and didn't give them a rest, knowing that a draw would have been enough for them, especially when Camavinga did okay when he played against Inter Milan in match day one, came on as a sub and and uh, made a difference, ultimately led to Rodrigo getting a goal in that, and, and he's got enough energy to cover the ground, or Fetty Valverde, or anybody. Uh, outside of the three older guys that are there. Casemiro did come off. I think he was a little bit hurt, so I guess we'll have to wait and see if it was worth the risk. But they do get the top spot. That's important. You don't want to drop into second and potentially face Liverpool or Man City or Bayern Munich in the next round, or even a red-hot Ajax. I wouldn't want to face them either. So I was actually pretty disappointed in Inter Milan, though. They put out a pretty good lineup, and they just never got into a rhythm and i think that probably speaks more to what madrid was doing outside of what inter was doing but i was expecting a little bit more of a punch back from them and we never saw it we never really saw them get into what we've been seeing recently they were an 11 game unbeaten streak by the way and just dismantled roma a couple days ago so pretty lackluster performance from them but i think it just speaks more to how good madrid is playing these days
3: yeah i'm with jimmy i agree that i was disappointed by inter milan i actually tipped them to win that 2-1 uh but uh, like you guys, I was taken by surprise by Ancelotti's, uh, you know, personnel choices. The only thing I can think of is that perhaps he's looking at the games after the Madrid derby this weekend and being like, right, we needed to build up the momentum over these games. They're our toughest tasks, uh, you know, up until the new year. You know, let's let's keep that momentum going. You know, s- solidify our place both domestically and uh, continentally. Uh, you know, and then sort of rest up around Christmas and into the new year and then be ready to go when the knockout phase rolls around. That's the only thing that I can think of. But you know, I do think that he he he, he, will, he did take a few risks uh, this evening. You know, especially after Benzema picked up that injury. You know, he's going to have to now watch some of his key men, make sure that nobody picks up anything serious than a sort of a minor knock, and you know, perhaps start giving uh, you know some guys like Camavinga, you know, a bit more confidence to start. I know it's not been the easiest uh, of, of debut periods for for the young Frenchman, but uh, you know, I think that Ancelotti's going to have to trust players like that sooner rather than later if he doesn't want this season to fizzle out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We get a comment about Luka Modric by the way, uh Per Fabrizio Romano. They're uh, still hoping and planning to extend his contract until June 2023, the ageless Croatian wonder there. And by the way, uh there was another question about Conte, do you think uh, he regrets leaving Inter Milan? I have my own answer for that and it's no. But Jimmy, what do you think, JJ? Oh, no, go, no, no. Go no, ahead, no, JJ. Go, go, go. No, go, JJ. No,
3: go ahead. Not, not at all. I mean, I think it's it's easy to look at the situation now and say that Conte would regret, you know, not being in the Champions League latter stages with Inter and being at uh, Tottenham Hotspur side that really needs a lot of work. But, you know, let's wind the clock back a couple of months to the situation that Conte was in yeah. just after Inter being crowned champions, the mess that they were facing. It, you know, I, I think Inter now at the moment seem a world away from that. But then again, Inter you know, they, they they ended up sealing the, the Serie A title and then people were basically talking about them as if they were bankrupt. So, you know, maybe the same thing will happen again this season. I don't think necessarily because things look better on the pitch, the things behind the scenes are, uh, you know, any different to what Conte would have left behind. Yeah, I think that he
2: seems to have a flamethrower wherever he goes. There's a bit of Mourinho to him where he can only last somewhere for two or three years. I feel like he's very hard driving. I feel like control is very important to him. And if there's any semblance of, Somebody trying to do something behind his back or undermining him or, or somehow taking away some of his control. That's where shit just starts hitting the fan with Antonio Conte. I think his time was done at Inter Milan. I think he set out what he what he wanted to do, which is win the Scudetto, especially to do it against uh, with Juve obviously being in con- control and breaking Juve's string of nine straight. I think that was a big middle finger to one of his former clubs that he seems to have those big giant chips on his shoulder. I don't know. That's what drives him and fuels him. So more play or fair play to him for that because I have some of those as well. But I say with Spurs, this is probably going to be his most challenging project to date. And I'm curious if he's got the energy to stay focused, because he's already taken some shots at his team. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I I find that particular relationship between him and Daniel Levy to be very interesting. And I'm curious to see how the players respond to him. Not just right now when you got the new manager bump still, but in six months, in a year, because that's where Mourinho, even though he's starting to get closer and closer and closer, like starts to burn out the players pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, Antonio Conte had a plan for Inter Milan. Inter Milan couldn't afford that plan. Antonio Conte said goodbye. Uh, Tottenham wanted uh, Conte. Uh, Conte said no, because this plan is not working for me. Then they came back after, of course, what happened with Nuno Spirit to Santo. And then Conte, that's why, all right, you're giving me what I want. And that's exactly. So to your point, he's very good at his job when he controls everything that he wants to control. So that's why... No, he is not upset that he left Inter Milan. Um, all right, let's uh, move on here. By the way, uh, Schachter and Sheriff, of course, was the other game. Uh, remind me, Desnaris, what the score was in that one? I paid one. Zero. One was it? Was not it one? Sh- well? Yes,
2: ninety-second minute goal for Sheriff by Boban Nikolov. <laughs> oh,
1: so good! Love it. Well, well Shakhtar, Schachter.
2: what are you doing? First time in their history, they've been to the Champions League group stages and have not won one game. Incredible.
1: And Sheriff in the Europa League, so that's good for them. Group C. Borussia Dortmund, uh, they're in the Europa League. They need the Europa League, just financially speaking. And they said goodbye to the Champions League with a 5-0 demolition of Turkish side Besiktas. Erlen Haaland off the bench, on the score sheet, of course, a (laughs) brace that's 23 Champions League goals in 19 matches. Erlen Haaland, Jonathan Johnson. Is there anything more to say about him, aside from the fact, will we see him in the black and yellow next season anyway?
3: Yeah, I mean, we were debating it with uh, with Derek on the show just yesterday. Uh, you know, I'm really curious to see how it plays out. And I am I think, you know, Dortmund have a really good opportunity now in the Europa League to be able to do, to make up for, you know, basically just not turning up in this Champions League group until it was too late. You know, I was saying earlier, too little, too late from PSG, uh, you know, in terms of, of getting that top spot in Group A. Likewise for, for Dortmund here, you know, performing this way. If they put in this kind of performance... Uh, you know, against, uh, you know, a team like Ajax or a team like Sporting, they probably wouldn't have found themselves, uh, you know, out of contention uh, to get into the knockout phase with a game to spare. So, you know, as, as encouraging as it is, and, you know, they do still look pretty solid uh, domestically as well. So it's not like all hope is lost for this season. Mm. But I think Haaland coming back will have, you know, such a transformative effect for them. You can see even when he comes off the bench, he still hasn't lost that touch. He's still getting goals, whether it's in the Bundesliga or the Champions League. Uh, you know, and I, I just think that re- realistically, um, with all due respect to Dortmund, Europa League is more their level for their consistency at this moment in time. And I'd place them among the favorites, to be honest, to go and win that title.
2: Yeah, I agree with JJ. I think that Bruce Dortmund, especially with a healthy Erling Haaland, who is going to be motivated to be like, all right, this is the new competition I'm in. I'm just going to start banging in goals. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. I'm going to set records in this competition, too. Is going to be motivated to make that happen. and. If you do win the Europa League, you guarantee your spot in the Champions League. They should finish top four. So I'm not too worried about it from a Bundesliga perspective. That said, I do think if Holland had been healthy throughout the group stages, they probably would be in second and Sporting would have dropped off into third. So there's something to take into consideration there. This Dortmund team, though, I just want to speak about Jude Bellingham. I know he's in trouble for running his mouth after the Bayern Munich game, which he should have, by the way. The refereeing was criminal. But I will say that I love the little things that he does where he picks up the ball in the half turn, he drives it the, the back line, sets up the first goal for Danielle Mullen, and that really kind of unlocked the rest of the game. There was a red card for, for Besiktas uh, not too long after that. They are starting to lose their cool, and then things weren't going their way. Besiktas is bad, by the way, just to throw that out there. But, but it still takes something to beat a bad team who who kind of holding on for just organization and hope you still have to go out there and prove that you're better. And I thought Dortmund were, were excellent in, in every facet. And I'm curious to see how they they continue to play. Uh, kind of because I actually thought they were pretty good for good stretches against Bayern Munich as well, where the game was in the balance and we could argue they deserved more than what they got. So I like this Dortmund team. And to JJ's point, I think they could make a real deep run into the Europa League, which would be fun to see. It would be good for that competition to have an Erling Haaland kind of light it up and, and uh, really bring more attention to that competition.
1: Yeah, that's until Sevilla wins it. but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> Because they're it.
2: hosting it, that's why.
1: <laughs> exactly. exactly. The but thank you for the comments, everybody. Yes, we know, obviously, uh, due to the goal differential and other things, it could have gone Borussia Dortmund's yeah, right. way, but it is not. And Sporting, by the way, massive credit there, of course. By the way, speaking of that game against Ajax, Ajax, just ridiculous. 20 goals scored in the group stages. They've won all six games, I believe, they yep. make a little history because them alongside, who's the other team that won every single game? They, it's the only time it's happened in the tournament, by the way, uh, where two teams, and this uh, on a perfect score, Liverpool, I believe, right? Liverpool's the other one, yeah. Liverpool and Ajax, the only time the tournament has had two perfect in the group stages. But Sebastian Haller, I mean, Ajax are just in form. But my thing is this, okay, uh, Jimmy. My thing is this, I mean, okay, Hallair, ten goals, six group games. 10. I, I want to see what IX does against a better opponent. how do, what what are your what do you make of them when they get into the knockout stages?
2: They're a team that I wouldn't want to face. I mean, I think they've only given up one goal at home all season. Mm. Some, something crazy. I mean they're they're very, very good at home. they 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 have their identity and and with the addition of Sebastian Allaire, it really gives them a proper number nine that an Antony can run off of, that a Dusan Tadic can run off. I mean, off it, help,
3: it helps when you register in for continental competition. That's
2: true. A that's 100% <laughs> true. Did they get a group that was pretty manageable? 100% and, and really matched up well against everybody in the group. But she does, doesn't even count. That's an automatic two wins. But Sporting <laughs> Clube de Portugal, they came in on a 12-game yeah. unbeaten streak and came off beating Benfica it Benfica 3-1. I mean, they, that's a good team, Sporting. And, and they know how to score goals. And Ajax was like... Yeah, all right. I mean, yeah, they give, them, they give up two today, but but there's something about this Ajax team that I really like. And now that Onana's back in goal, I think that makes them a little bit more steady between the sticks, and they're not relying on the third string goalkeeper, which is how you know made a mistake, I guess, against Roma last year in the Europa League. That kind of unraveled Ajax in a way. They should never have lost to Roma last year. I would not want to face this Ajax team over two legs. Is probably the the shortest way to say it. And you're going to be pretty bummed (laughs) if you do. That said, we could get Ajax versus Inter Milan, which feels kind of unfair to both of those clubs. But uh, that's part of what makes the Champions League so fun in the knockout rounds.
3: I think what I really like about this Ajax side is that it feels like something we're only going to see for a very limited period of time. You've got some guys who are at the absolute peak of their game, the peak of their maturity, and the only way really now is going to be down afterwards in their career for them. It feels like it's going to be this season to give it absolutely everything, take Ajax as far as they can in Europe, uh, you know, dominate domestically. But after that, uh, you know, it, it might not be at the same level again once more. And, you know, I, I think it's it's very rare as well for someone like Haller to be having the season that he's having where he scored in every group game so far. You know, he'll be sort of expecting himself to to keep that record up, going into the knockout phase as well. Like Jimmy said, nobody's going to want to go up against this Ajax side, but they now have to maintain this level of performance coming into the new year. And that's also going to be a challenge when they go back to, uh, you know, just basically being the domestic big boys.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. The only thing I think that I would counter with is the fact that if there's any club out there that can really just keep on going consistent wise, just because of their philosophy, which is taught literally, if you're nine years old, or if you're Tadic. It's Ajax, but to your point, they're in a very good moment right now and they better take full advantage of it. So it would be interesting to see who they get in the round of 16. So take nothing uh, away from that. And that's it, by the way, from Tuesday's recap. Uh, amazing. we got some good games Tomorrow, but anything, uh, final thoughts here, uh Jimmy Conrad? We can even discuss tomorrow a little bit if you wanted to. I know you weren't part of our Champions League preview, so um your amazing prediction of Barcelona maybe not making the knockout stages might come true, my friend. Anything it, else to, to discuss?
2: coming true. Come on. You expect <laughs> Barcelona to go to Germany, and the I German clubs know. have an advantage because they have uh, a two-week Rest coming so they can still I'm a romantic start Jimmy I'm
1: a romantic I'd like yeah,
2: Lewandowski's I mean. at home right now and he's watching all these other people set records Holland scores yeah, two yeah. Messi scores two Mbappe scores two Sebastian Allaire's doing scoring every game he ever plays in Lewandowski's like yeah I'm the guy I'm the king of this okay and I'm gonna step up I'm gonna play and I think that Barcelona I just don't know how Barcelona are gonna keep Bayern off of the score sheet. That's first and foremost. And then who's going to score the goals for them? Ushman Dembele is going to be really important to Barcelona. But yes, uh, that's going to be a great game. And obviously, I think that Menfica will sneak in and get that second spot. And uh, Barcelona will be going to the Europa League. And the Europa League is going to be popping off. they got Borussia Dortmund there already. They're going to be fine. <laughs> fine. Company. And Sheriff, let's be honest. Sheriff, who we all want to see anyway. Yeah,
3: they'll be knocked yeah, out. You know what? <laughs> Jimmy saying, I told you so, is never a good thing. But if, <laughs> if, if, he, if he's saying, I told you so, after the boss game, I'm not going to complain.
1: <laughs> he's absolutely loving it, by the way, because he's hitting all his game. By the way, Ian Poljo today was absolutely loving Jimmy Condra. That never – what did you never do, happens. by the way, Jimmy? Yeah, seriously. No, but I- – Fair play, my friend. You, you're you getting thanks. a lot correct right now. Are you getting a bonus? Is that what's going on? No, I like-
2: have not seen anything. I don't know what these bonuses you're talking about, but if uh, you get That's some, once you share them with me. Viacom
1: <laughs> CBS, get to it. Seriously, my God. Uh, JJ, did you have any final thoughts aside from making sure that we don't gloat too much with Jimmy?
3: No, 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 not at all. I mean, I think we said uh, we said a lot in the preview uh, yeah. just yesterday. But no, look, looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, how the rest of the games pan out and obviously to the, to the draw next week as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. By the way, Atalanta-Villarreal is going to be a game to watch. That's the good one right there as uh, Manchester United, of course, lead Group F. But that is it, everybody. Thank you so much for being part of the family. Jimmy, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan Johnson.
3: Uh, Pleasure as always.
1: Thank you, everybody. Uh, That brings today's coverage to a close, but we'll be here again tomorrow to recap the end of Match Day 6 and the end of the Champions League group stages. And tomorrow, of course, as we mentioned, Barcelona is all or nothing. Uh, to hit their trip to Munich. A four-way fight in Group G and a uh, too tough to call clash between, as I mentioned, Atalanta and Una Emery's Real. Make sure that you join us live on YouTube and be part of the conversation. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Follow Que Lasso Pod. Follow us uh, on Twitter, Que Lasso Pod, and of course, leave a rating and review. It's been a very long day, so if I stumble there a few words, we'll screw you entire, <laughs> all right? So I will see you everybody tomorrow thank you everybody have a good night and we will see you next time thank you
2: hey everyone this is jimmy conrad your favorite former u.s men's national team player and the host of the call it what you want podcast and i'm here to tell you that viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language it's inspired from the coastal california lifestyle just like me its products stand the test of time